Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It's been a weekend, for sure. It's uh, It's been uh, the best of times and the worst of times in many respects. We're going to talk about all of that. But I hope that you guys are, uh, are recovering from uh, the winter storm we had. I still have uh, ice in the driveway, e- even as late as uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. We still we still have some here. We're able to get out and move a little bit. But, uh, you know, getting around Starville, I think I might be the only place in town that still has uh, ice on the driveway. It's a weird deal. But it is what it is. And, again, there are a lot of people out there dealing with a lot worse things than uh, than we are. So if you're one of those folks, uh, my thoughts and prayers are with you. But it's been uh, it's been a challenging stretch for sure. And one of the things that I think uh, you know the COVID virus and winter storms and all these things remind us of is that uh, at the end of the day we're really not in charge. You know we think we are, but we're really not in charge. We're kind of all along for the ride. And uh, so my hope is, is that all of us has kind of reminded us <clears throat> of what really matters most. And in many respects, that's family, it's friends, it's people. It's not necessarily things or events or possessions. It's people. Constantly reminded of that. Constantly. And there are so many people out there that uh, I have listened to in recent days about, uh, you know, especially some of our elderly, that uh, their quality of life has been greatly diminished, perhaps more than most people, because they're so fearful to get out because of the COVID virus, and then uh, yeah, they're, they're vulnerable, and so as a result, they, uh, they stay kind of locked up. They stay hemmed up in, uh, in their residences and long-term care facilities and things of that nature, and they just they don't get out and, and do much. And so if you have some people like that in your life, let me encourage you to reach out to them and let them know that you love them, that you're thinking of them. It could uh, make their day. I, I know for me, when I get those messages from folks, that I get, I get really excited. I say, hey, man, just checking on you, see how you are. In the past year, it's probably taught me more than at any point in my life how important it is to check in on my friends because things happen. You know, I've had friends that have lost businesses. I've had friends that have gone through some painful relationship losses over the course of the last uh, year or so. All of that kind of comes to bear when we face adversity. It's like all those things kind of bubble up. And so let me encourage you to do so. And I hope that you're not dealing with any of that. Uh, But if you are, I want you to know you're not alone. That's one of those things when we're, we're mired in misery, if we feel like our pain is somewhat unique and perhaps terminal, but it's not, this too shall pass. Get out and go do some fun things when you can. We, uh, we had a great meal today uh, from Harvey's. Great meal from Harvey's. Uh, love getting food from there. You know, Harvey's, of course, part of a great family of restaurants. That same partnership that brought you Bulldog Burger Company. Be sure to stop in at Bulldog Burger Company. Treat yourself to one of the great delicacies of the Golden Triangle. That's Bulldog Burger Company. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Star Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking, and we all need more of that. But find your own favorite hamburger. And maybe 
Maybe you're saying, you know what, Steve? I don't know what to order when I go to a place like that. Well, in that case, order the Bulldog, the Bulldog Burger. You'll be happy you did. And then on your next visit, maybe you branch out a little bit. Maybe you have the Smokehouse. Maybe you have Pimentology Add Bacon. Maybe you have the mission with a pico de gallo on the side i like to do it on the side so i can kind of control the distribution you know what i'm saying bulldog burger company great people great food great prices go by and check them out bulldog burger company the place where people go to meet m-e-a-t i'll be honest with you i'm really tired i mean i really am i mean it's been uh it's been a really busy stretch but i have been so grateful to have some baseball to cover i love college baseball I watched all of the games on Saturday and then our game on Sunday and part of the Ole Miss game, part of the Arkansas game. It's just one of those things, you know, when you have a passion for things, you can't get enough of it. A lot of crazy scores around the country. Air Force upsets LSU. Georgia Tech gets beat. Florida loses two out of three, so it'll be a new number one in college baseball. I mean, who would have ever thought Florida would be overrated, right? But they're going to be great. Trust me, they're going to be good. And there's a lot of this, too. You know, I encourage people, and I said this on Friday's show, no matter, no matter how this tournament and this opening weekend works out for everybody around the SEC, I don't know if you can draw any true hard and fast conclusions. So there's going to be some teams that uh, go 0-3 this weekend or go 1-2 and that are going to win their conference. There are going to be some that go to Omaha. But, uh, you know, Mississippi State's faced some adversity this weekend. But, uh, you know, we did get the big win uh, on Saturday. So let's talk a little bit about that. We, uh, we, we played Texas for the first time since 1985. Uh, the fir- that's the game, of course, that's the Gene Morgan game, right? That's the, uh, the game that essentially cost us a national championship. I don't think we can undersell that point. So we get a small measure of revenge for, uh, for Gene Morgan taking care of the Longhorns, and I really thought we, we pitched it really well, and I don't think you uh, have to be you know, a national analyst to, uh, to understand that. Christian McLeod goes four innings, scatters six hits, gives up to one run, seven strikeouts, uh, didn't walk anybody. 73 pitches, and everybody's on a pitch count for the most part. There's some schools out there that are a little more liberal with that than others, but uh, – Everybody's on a pitch count. 75 is about as much as we're going to do. But uh, Christian McLeod uh, was dominant for much of his appearance and then uh, gives up the solo home run, gives up a double. Next thing you know, we're in a bit of a jam. We bring in Landon Sims, might be your national reliever of the week. Four innings of perfect relief, 10 strikeouts, 12 batters faced, throws 58 pitches, uh, one <laughs> – one fly out, one ground out, the rest of them all punch outs. He was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. Riley Self comes in. Riley, you know, played at a new playing weight, really struggled to keep the ball down, struggled to uh to spot up the left handers. I'm I'm a Riley Self believer though. I think it'll all work itself out in time. You know, he was at one time the most dominant reliever we had. A lot of people wanted to make him a starter. And then Riley gets injured and takes a while for him to kind of get back to form. And he was pitching really well last year. Uh, not a great outing on Saturday, but uh, he will bounce back. Spencer Price comes in, uh, faces two hitters, gets them both out, a couple flyouts, eight in eight pitches in the inning, uh, and we're done. But listen, if we're going to strike out 18 hitters in a ball game, chances are we're going to win that game. 
We give up three earned runs, and two of those after the game had been decided. If I told you it's going to be an 8-1 ball game in the ninth, you would have taken that and run with it. Offensively against Texas, we did exceptionally well. Rowdy Jordan, uh, one for five, but the one was really, really loud. Hit an absolute bomb to left field. Uh, Tanner Allen, two for five in the ball game with a couple strikeouts, and, and that's facing a pretty good left-hander there in Ty Madden. Josh Hatcher, one for five, took a ball the other way, did a nice job there. Tanner Logan, one for four. Luke Hancock, three for four, and he had a walk. And he was a, a thorn in the Longhorn side much of the day. Uh, Scotty DeBrule, one for four, but I'll tell you, I thought he had four quality at-bats. He had the 1K, and uh, even that at-bat was one that you kind of felt like he was in charge. He is a mature hitter. And you can tell that when he strides into the box. He's not a guy that seems overwhelmed by the moment. I think he's going to be a great addition for this team. Uh, Landon Jordan has played exceptionally well defensively at third. One for three with the RBI and really a bit of a rally starter for us uh, in that ball game. Drew McGowan gets the start and left. And if I had told you beginning of the year, Drew McGowan's going to be your opening day left fielder, you wouldn't have believed me. He responds an opportunity, goes two for four, drives in a run, Really did a nice job. Uh, very first play of the game. Long fly ball to left. He runs it down and uh, makes it look like a can of corn. Uh, Josh Hatcher with that double. Rowdy Jordan home run. Luke Hancock a home run. Ty Madden was the guy that we were really worried about. And uh, traded some text messages with uh, former Diamond Dog, Matthew Brinson. And we talked about it. You know, really expected this to be a pitcher's duel. Didn't turn out to be that. And a lot of that's because State had such a great approach to plate. Uh, you get Madden out of the game, 70, 79 pitches thrown for him, four innings, four hits, four runs, three of them burned, three walks, five Ks. And after that first inning, we probably were all kind of thinking, well, this is going to be a long day. And the second inning, we go one, two, three. But every one of those balls were screamers. We barreled those balls up, and I was encouraged. I said, you know what, we've kind of figured some things out here I think we're going to get to him. Eventually, we did. And the Luke Hancock home run was really one of those things that kind of turned that game for us. Uh, exceptional showing offensively in that ball game against uh, a, you know, a dominant guy, probably going to be one of the best Friday night guys in the country. And we made him look pretty average. And I think we all felt like, you know what, offensively, we're going to be great. I still think we will be. I'd like to see a little more power from the right side of the plate. Rowdy Jordan, of course, uh, you know, is a switch hitter. I don't know if you can really count him as a true right-handed hitter. But uh, when we flip him around and he swings from that right side, he has some power left, and that, that's going to bode well for us as we get into, into a Duty Noble and begin depositing balls in the left field lounge. But a loud win for Mississippi State, and we, we hope to go down there and win a couple ball games, and hope that we can take care of Texas Tech today. Uh, and leave the event with a 2-1 record. But everybody in the event probably going to have a real opportunity to host a regional. This is an absolute crazy event. Nobody knew two years ago that all six of these teams be ranked in the top ten. I think Mississippi State has acquitted themselves pretty well. We've showed that we belong in there, that those expectations uh, that people have of our program are warranted. We're going to be a really good team. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think, you know, Texas struggling a little bit offensively, but Texas will turn it around. And quite frankly, we need Texas to. You know, I don't know what they base it on. I don't know if it's the RPI or what they call it these days, but we need Texas to go out there and get hot and, and really make that win seem like an even more quality win 
because I do think they're going to be a much better team. David uh, Pierce, a great coach there. People forget, you know, that David Pierce took Tulane into Oxford uh, and won that regional there a few years ago. That's one of the reasons that he was uh, considered, you know, kind of a coach on the rise when Texas hired him. You know, a lot of people thought Texas was going to be able to get uh, Kevin O'Sullivan. They weren't able to get Sully. And some people in the industry said that it was really, really close. Texas nearly got him. But they get David Pierce, and uh, they're on the upswing. They're not – you know, Texas is not officially back yet. But I think this year could be a big year for them. They got to Omaha a couple years ago, and then the next year go 27 and 27. But uh, there's going to be some up and down. But Texas – Still not quite what they were, and I think one of the reasons why is you've seen programs like TCU that have really risen to prominence. You've seen Texas A&M have some really good years, and so Texas is not necessarily the destination it once was because there's so many other schools in the state of Texas uh, that are doing a great job. But they'll get it going. There's there's no question about it. I mean, I think Texas is probably a year or two away from being a, a team that competes for the Big 12 championship and for a spot in Omaha on a regular basis. I think that's just a matter of time. So this is a quality win for Mississippi State. And of all the games, to be honest with you, I really thought TCU might be our best chance to win a ball game. And so for us to take down Texas, I said, well, this kind of bodes well for us kind of moving forward. We can take care of Texas, and then we'll see what happens in the other two ball games. But uh, a good effort, and we played clean. And that's the thing, too, that was kind of the difference between the two days is, you know, on Saturday – we didn't make errors. We didn't walk anybody. I guess we had just the one walk, and that was in the ninth inning. Raleigh Self issued that one. But the ball game was over at that point. We didn't do the things that get you beat. We didn't have base running blunders. We didn't boot the ball around. We didn't walk people. And, and that's the difference in a ball game. That, that's the difference between getting separation and then losing a ball game you shouldn't is when you go out there and get timely hits – and then you don't give them anything. We didn't give Texas anything, and we picked up a big win in the process. And I think that is one of those things that you look back and say, you know what, even in, in game one, we looked like we were ready to play. Now, we're going to run across some guys, especially on Friday nights, they're going to shut us down, and we're going to have to try to win a war of attrition. I like our approach against Madden because we're out there running counts up, trying to get him into the, out of the ball game and get into the bullpen, and that strategy paid off for us handsomely. I think it's important to win, lose, draw, whatever, especially early on, that we try to take things in our proper context. You know, we at Mississippi State, we, we expect to win in baseball, and so there are a lot of times that we get a little overly optimistic. And, I, and that listen, the, the flood of emotion that we all had after beating Texas the way that we did, you know, I think you know, some friends of mine were joking around, so I'm going to go ahead and book my, book my room for Omaha. You know, maybe you should. I think we're capable of getting there, but baseball is often a cruel game. You know, sometimes you do things right, and the next day uh, you, know, you don't, and that's kind of how it was you know, on Saturday. But I think when you look at I me mean, on Sunday, excuse me, when you look at that Saturday game in hindsight, I think we're going to look back and say that was a really quality win for us. And there's a validation about all this stuff, too. It's like, you know what, there are six top ten teams down there, and then you look at it and say, okay, this is a chance for us to prove to ourselves that we belong. And on day one, we certainly did that. We went down there and really were kind of the talk of the, of the day one event. You know, Arkansas and, and Texas Tech had that wild game in the night. But I think a lot of people said, hey, look, this is a pretty long, pardon me, strong statement for Mississippi State's pitching. A lot of people have uh, you know, had questions about our pitching. But, you know, Texas is a team that has SEC caliber talent. 
And we absolutely shut them down. Absolutely shut them down. And I don't know if we have had a better relief performance than what we saw from Landon Sims. And I don't just mean his four-inning stint. I mean, to come in with the bases loaded and strike out the side and not give up anything, that's when the game was ultimately won. It's a 5-1 ball game there. You give up a couple of base hits. Next thing you know, it's a 5-3, 5-4 ball game. And who knows how that thing turns out. But when you go out there and you shut those guys down in that inning, your team seems to believe, you know what, this is our day. And then their team seems to believe, you know what, we blew a golden opportunity. That might be our best chance to climb back in the ball game. So there is a mental aspect to all of that that is important to acknowledge. When the game was big, when the game was on the line, Landon Sims stepped up and had the best performance of his young career. And I think those are the things you look at that really bode well for the future, is that we can put him in a big moment against a big-time opponent in a great environment, and he's going to perform. You may remember last year in his Bulldog debut, he could barely throw the ball across the plate. We had to go get him, and then down the stretch, he was, he was phenomenal. But if this is the kind of start we can expect from him, and, and listen, you know, Christian McLeod, as we get a little deeper in the season, you get into SEC play, you're not going to pull him with 75 pitches. You're going to let him get a little deeper, maybe get a couple more innings. And then that's where a guy like Landon Sims can kind of bridge the gap from your starter to your bullpen. And maybe he can only throw a couple innings on Friday and come back and give you an inning or two on Sunday. But when he is dominant as he was on Saturday – you know, those are the things that give you a lot of encouragement kind of moving forward. But, again, great team win, pitched it well, defended it well, hit the baseball pretty well, uh, held them. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, you begin to look at this thing here. Uh, we give up, uh, you know, nine hits in the ball game, and they kind of came in bunches, if you know what I'm saying. You know, they had that, the, the fifth inning where they kind of put some things together. They did the home run, the double, and a couple of infield hits. So, you know, four of those six hits against McLeod come in one inning, and then three of them come against Self. And so seven, really seven of their, of their nine hits kind of came in rallies there. And, um, you know, we still kind of held them down much of the ball game. And those runs still count, obviously. But you're never going to get everybody up, you know, up and down, three up, three down, inning after inning after inning. At some point you make a mistake, and when you're playing top ten quality competition, they're going to make you pay for it. And that's what happened. But, again, great opening win in every aspect. You know, game two, I mentioned that uh, I felt like TCU, because of the fact they were a little bit challenged offensively, had a chance to watch them against Ole Miss. And they – Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? 
How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Didn't scare me. Um, you know, Ole Miss has some some big some big bodied guys that can hit the ball a long way. I didn't think that TCU did. TCU looks like a lot of you know gap to gap type guys, some singles hitters, and that kind of held up for us on Sunday as well. They didn't hit Ole Miss pitching well. Uh, they didn't hit Mississippi State pitching well. Matter of fact, in the Ole Miss game, their three runs all came with Doug McKenzie uh, walking in three runs. And listen, I understand how rivalries work. Doug McKenzie is legit, okay? He is going to be a great pitcher for them. And I think it's one of those deals, too, where, you know, it's a big stage and he has not been as good on the road as perhaps he has been at home. But trust me, Doug McKenzie is going to be okay for Ole Miss. And they're going to score a lot of runs, and that's going to cover up a lot of errors, you know, when you make a mistake on the pitching staff. But, you know, McKenzie gifted them their three runs. And then you look at what happened against Mississippi State – you know, we didn't necessarily gift them three runs, but we gave them one in the first, and then we kind of aided in their own rally with some walks. And I wrote about that on, on Sunday evening. 
And it's so it's interesting to see the reaction to those kind of articles. You know, we struck out eight and walked seven. Three of those seven walks were instrumental in rallies. You know, the walk that we issued, the Houston Harding issues in the first inning comes around and scores. The walk that we issued in the sixth inning forced a runner to second that enabled him to score on a ground ball a little bit later because he goes to second, then we wild pitch him to third, and then there's an infield, you know, ball to Josh Hatcher, and we have to take that out at first, allows a run to score. Well, if we don't walk that guy, then all of a sudden we're not pushing that leadoff single in a scoring position. And then a little bit in the seventh inning, sure enough, right after we had cut it from, from uh, cut it to two to one, we gift that run right back. Jackson Forrester kind of struggled a little bit. Uh, made it to the inning okay, but uh, you had a walk there that came around to score. When you're locked into these pitching duels like that, you can't give people base runners. And, and to, to ignore that fact is to be disingenuous. We're not going to beat anybody of note scoring two runs. We're not going to beat anybody of note issuing seven walks. We held TCU to four hits and lost the ball game. Four. Let's kind of look inside the numbers here. And, of course, uh, the big story early in the ballgame is that uh, Will Bednar didn't start. Now, I got a call five minutes before game time kind of explaining Bednar woke up with some stiffness in his neck. And then uh, you begin to kind of break this thing down. So they get him out in the bullpen and just simply couldn't get him right. Just simply couldn't get him right. And so you pull him and uh, you go with Houston Harding. Harding is expected to be a midweek starter for us and a sometime uh, middle or long-term reliever on weekends. It's a guy that's got value in our staff. He finds out about an hour before game time, hey, you got the ball today. And so I don't know if you can judge him too harshly. I thought he got out there and competed pretty well for the most part. There were some times uh, the pitches got away from him. But, you know, all things considered, I thought he went out there and gave us a good effort. He gets the loss in it. It goes three and a third innings. Gives up one hit, one run, unearned, three walks, four Ks. And that first inning, that was one of those deals, too, you just kind of felt like, you know, we didn't know how good Russell Smith was going to be uh, from TCU on the on the bump. And as Brinson and I talked about, too, he, you know, Johnny Ray is supposed to be a phenom for TCU. But Smith really looked the better of the two this weekend. But you knew runs probably going to be at a premium, and then we gift them one early. Same situation. You know, it's like – we get into a two-out situation. They run a double steal. And listen, uh, I guess it's Sacco or Sacco. He is absolutely dead to rights going to third. That throw is going to beat him by five or six feet. And we throw it in left field and we give him a run. And even when that happened, I think most Mississippi State fans felt like me. And so that's probably not going to be enough, you know, to win the ball game. But with Houston Hardy on the mound, the guy that was not expected to pitch, you certainly didn't need to put him in a hole early, and we did defensively. And it was just kind of a comedy of errors. You know, we get that they drag bunt, give us the out to open the frame. We walk a guy, and we've got a chance to get out of the inning. We boot the ball at short, and then we throw it away on the double steal. And so basically three things there, three performance errors for us, give them a run. And it really felt like we were chasing the game. And give Russell Smith a lot of credit. Uh, that, he's a big six nine guy, and he's not especially overpowering. A lot of times when you see guys like that, you figure they're throwing 95, 96. He kind of stayed around 91, 92, and that's still bringing it pretty good. But he just he wasn't exactly what you'd expect a guy of that stature to be. And that's what made him, I think, so difficult to pick up. And I don't know that we saw the baseball really well, 
because he did a really jo- good job of mixing and matching. They, they said before the ball game that he had a three-pitch mix, but it looked to me like he was throwing four pitches and getting swings and misses on that. Uh, he had a pretty decent slider, and then he had a little bit of another breaking ball, and then he had to change up. Uh, and so it, it may be a variation of that slider, but um, you know, did a good job keeping us off balance because usually when you see big guys like that, they're more throwers than pitchers. And that's what impressed me about Smith is his ability to kind of keep people off balance, which in turn keeps people off the, the, foot, the, the fastball. Because you see a big guy like that, and you think, okay, we're going to sit up here and go dead red. And I really thought we were a little bit impatient early in the ballgame. I'm not doubting Jake Gotro in any stretch of imagination because we're going to go hunt the fastball. But I think that he is a little more deceptive than maybe we expected. And so we get out in front a lot. We popped a lot of balls up. We didn't have much solid contact against him at all. And really, I really think we really didn't get put a quality of bat together until late in his outing. But he goes five and a third innings. We get three hits. He just allows the one run and uh, struck out six. And it seemed like more than that because he, he was doing such a good job being pitch efficient. He, does, he throws 82 pitches, 64 of them for strikes. I mean, just an outstanding effort. Five ground outs, let his defense play for him, five uh, fly outs. And, and really, none of those were loud. They were all kind of routine fly balls kind of right at each other. And, uh, you know, we, we hit the home run against him, and that was really the first thing we kind of barreled up. And then they brought in Marcelo Perez, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Uh, when they trotted him out there, you think, okay, well, he's not quite physically imposing, but he is a right-hander, and we have that left-handed lineup up there. And you begin to think, okay, well, you know, how's this going to work for us? And uh, you know, he gives up the three hits, and they all kind of came late. He did a really great job his first couple of innings. And, uh, again, pretty good uh, strike ratio. 48 pitches thrown, 33 of those for strikes. Uh, you know, gets a couple of foul outs, too. Kind of had us off balance, and we popped up to the catcher a couple times and bounced out and in foul territory strikes out five doesn't walk anybody so they didn't give us much at all and then we then we begin to kind of get some things going late now I really thought the uh, the Luke Hancock at bat and man what a good weekend he's had already you know Luke's up there and what does he foul off six full count pitches and then eventually just rips a single in the right and that really got us going and I thought that our dugout you could hear it on the broadcast our, our dugout really got fired up with Luke because he is such a competitor and you can see why Chris Monas wants him in the lineup every day uh, he is a guy that has a great approach to hitting and, and can hit right-handers and left-handers and there are a lot of left-handers that get up there and that they just can't stay away from that breaking stuff anything that works away makes them look a little silly you know, Josh Hatcher's a guy that kind of struggles with left-handers sometimes Tanner Allen does Josh more so than Tanner but you just don't get that with Luke. I think Luke does a good job working both sides of the plate and then also kind of spraying the ball to all fields. Uh, and Luke is a big-time hitter. I mean, this is a guy that's going to bring some real value to the lineup. But he is a guy, too, that I think he is an emotional leader on this team because he is such a difficult out that he can run people's pitch counts up and he's a guy that can kind of uh, learn some things and take them back to the dugout and kind of say, hey, listen, here's what he's got. Here's what it's going to do. That's a veteran guy for you. And uh, glad that he's finally getting healthy again. But, um, you know, give them credit. They pitched it exceptionally well. Uh, We had a chance to win it there in the ninth. And, uh, you know, it's a 3-1 ball game. And we start putting some things together. And let's kind of uh, break down the ninth inning here for you just because I think the 
that's really where the game is won or lost. I mean, and, and despite the fact that we had seven walks and we did have a couple of errors in the ball game and that we did kind of aid in our own demise by gifting them some base runners that ultimately came around to score, we still pitched it well enough to win. You limit them to four hits and you limit them to three runs with the offensive prowess that we have, you have a chance to win the ball game, and we certainly did. And sometimes you're going to win a war of attrition. You know, this is not football. It's not basketball where you can just go out there and out-athlete people. You have to go execute everything. You've got to do it defensively. You've got to do it pitching-wise. You have to do it uh, as a hitter. You know, baseball is a much more difficult game because you just simply can't out-athlete people. You have to out-execute people. So we start the inning on a three on a uh, a strikeout to uh, to Tanner Allen, and you start thinking, okay, well, this is probably just going to be over with here. And then Logan Tanner absolutely trashes a one-two pitch and doubles the center field. And off the bat, I thought I had a shot. You know, it's like you know, if the if the, if the roof is open, if we're playing a duty noble, that ball's out of there. But it proved to be a rally starter. And the best thing about that is, too, we talk about this on the show every year, everybody is a different pitcher out of stretch. Everybody is. You've got a runner to worry about. You know, you can't just rock and fire. And so sometimes that breaking ball doesn't have quite the bite on it that perhaps it does when you're in the windup. Everybody is a different hitter. I mean, everybody's a different pitcher in the stretch. And so that gives some guys behind Logan the opportunity to hit against a pitcher in the stretch. And then what happens is Hatcher comes up there and tattoos the ball right back up the middle. Drives in a run. Now it's a 3-2 to two ball game. We've got a runner on. So they go ahead and make a switch there, and they bring in uh, Augie Milbauer. And, and what an impressive-looking guy he is and also a great baseball name. What does he do? Gives up the single to left center, and then Josh takes third. They review it. It really wasn't close. I, you know, I understand why. You know, they got to challenge that. I get it. It's a big play in the ball game, And, of course, if he's called out there, it kind of takes all the momentum away from us. I think it kind of backfired in many respects because it gave us a chance to kind of settle our guys down a little bit and say, okay, listen, here we go. Here's our chance to go win the game. So, uh, Scotty DeBrule comes up, and what a mature guy he is. You know, I've talked about him before on this show. A lot of people have told me how impressive he was in the fall you know, just being a guy that kind of does things the right way. You know, sometimes you get these newcomers in, and maybe they're from junior college, maybe they're a transfer, but this is a guy that was kind of a power five guy, you know, playing for the Jacksonville Dolphins. Kind of rewrote the books down there from a hitting standpoint, and you can tell. You know, and he's Listen, he's not going to be a home run guy. He's not going to be this impressive hitter that people have to go game plan for, but he's a tough out. So they bring in – you know, uh, what's his name, Garrett Wright. They bring in uh, Garrett Wright, big lumberjack-looking kid, and he walks DeBrule on four pitches. I was really hoping, to be honest with you, I was really hoping DeBrule would get something to hit there because I thought, you know what, if nothing else, if he gets something that he can elevate, we can get a sack fly here and get the tie run, the tie run to, the, to the play. I really thought we had a chance to tie the ball game there. And I think in many ways – Maybe that worked against us because you did have a veteran guy up there that's been in those situations before. I mean, DeBrule's had some walk-offs at Jacksonville. You know, he gets it. Didn't get an opportunity because none of those four pitches from right were competitive. And to their credit, if they come out kind of settling down uh, after the, uh, the ball up to Drew McGowan, 
And Drew McGowan, of course, had entered the game a little bit late as a replacement for Brad Combos, who got to start and left. Just kind of playing the lefty-righty matchup a little bit. And McGowan absolutely tattoos that ball, but they're playing out the middle. You know, they're playing for two there, which is exactly what they should do. You know, if McGowan hits that ball through the left side, we're going to win the ball game. In baseball, sometimes it's a cruel game. You go up there and you finally get a guy that, that can't throw strikes. He finally gives you something to hit, and you hit it right on the head, but you hit it right at somebody. And then you take a loss. But it didn't boil down to that. You know, it's like we can talk about the walks. Uh, we can talk about the fact that we didn't get a dominant pitching performance, but we did get a winning pitching performance. But offensively, we're not where we should be uh, in the ball game. We just couldn't bunch those hits together. And again, give their pitching staff some credit for that. It wasn't just a lack of execution on our part. Sometimes you got to tip your cap, and especially to Russell Smith, he was outstanding. So with that loss and after the day's events, the SEC is now 5-1 and one in the State Farm Baseball Showdown. Ole Miss takes down Texas Tech. Arkansas shuts out uh, Texas for nothing. I don't know if anybody saw that pitching performance coming. You know, Texas, again, offensively, probably not where they'll be later in the year. But it's been a good showing for the SEC. And, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't want Ole Miss and Arkansas to win tomorrow you know, or later today. You know, I don't want anybody to do better than us. But, again, we've talked about it on the show. I, I, think, that, I think the SEC West – is going to be a lot more competitive than people fully realize. Arkansas is picked third in the West, and the way the schedule tips for them, I, I could absolutely see them finishing first, second, or third in the West. I mean, I don't know that they have the starting pitching that they have had, but that Arkansas is a scrappy team. Dave Van Horn has those guys ready to play. I mean, that Texas Tech game on, on Saturday night, was it five lead changes? It was like it was a 0-0 ball game in the fifth inning. Arkansas had the bases loaded, had a chance to kind of break through, and then they couldn't. And they, but they wouldn't quit. You get in the ninth down 9-8 and you score five runs to put it away. I mean, listen, Dave Van Horn's a great coach. And those kids believe in that program. They believe. And, listen, give Mississippi State some credit today in the ninth. I mean, listen, you could simply say, you know what, it's just not our day. You know, no matter who they've trotted out here as a pitcher, we hadn't been able to do anything. But all of a sudden you look up and you say, okay, well, wait a minute. We're only down two runs. You get the leadoff double. You follow that with a single. Now it's a one-run ball game, and you've got an opportunity to do some big things. And then Josh Hatcher goes up there and makes a one in play for State, going from first to third there. Uh, you know, Not the most fleet-of-foot guy. I mean, Josh has good speed, but it's not like he's a Vince Coleman or anything. But he goes out there, makes a heady play, and puts us in a position to tie the ball game. It just didn't work out. Baseball's a cruel game sometimes. It certainly is. But I, I hope that we can kind of – turn things around and maybe give, uh, you know, Texas Tech something to feel bad about uh, today. You know, they're 0-2 right now, so you know they're going to be desperate. They're going to come out and look to play hard. Uh, Mason Montgomery is their starter. We don't know who Mississippi State's starter is going to be. It could be Will Bednar. We don't know. We don't know. But if I had told you on Thursday, you know what, Eric Sarantola is not going to pitch – and there's a chance Will Bednar's not going to pitch. You would say, man, if we can just go in and win a ball game, we'd, we'd feel great about life. Eric Sarantola not expected out to be, be out long at all. Will Bednar's situation is not expected to be serious either. But we've had some pretty you know, bad luck in that respect. But despite that adversity, you know, for two days, we've had pitching good enough to help us win a couple ball games. But today, on, on Sunday, we just didn't do a good enough job we boot the ball around a little bit in the first inning. We walk a bunch of people. We don't get the timely hit, and you lose the ball game. 
despite all of that, you lose 3-2, and you still had a chance to win it. You know, And so I think it says a lot about our club, a lot about our toughness. we got to play better, though. And that's the thing. When you play top ten teams, you got to play clean. you got to play clean. You, you can't go out there and give them extra opportunities, especially a team – well, it's got a hot pitcher like TCU did today. Had two hot pitchers. Did a great job against us. And so uh, that's kind of where things stand. We look forward to seeing this Texas Tech thing. Uh, again, you know, Texas Tech is a free-swinging team. I really thought Sarantolo would be a great matchup because the spin rate on that on that breaking ball is so ridiculous. You know, I think, you know, JT Ginn did such a good job against them because, they, listen, in many respects, they're kind of like church league softball players. They're going up there looking to tattoo everything. And so you get them off balance a little bit, get them second-guessing a little bit, and it kind of keeps them off the fastball. So eager to see what happens. And uh, we'll break it all down for you on Wednesday. Looking forward to, to watching Mississippi State play baseball again a little bit later uh, today. All right, listen, if you're a person that is struggling with sinus pressure and headaches and all the things associated with that this time of year, that always seems to kind of be one of those things we deal with. Some of you guys deal with it. You know, when in the spring, you know, when the pollen comes and that sort of stuff, and some of you deal with it when there's a change in temperature or change in barometric pressure, it happens. Go see Dr. Robert Yarber with the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. That's ear, nose, and throat Physicians of North Mississippi. Dr. Yarber is a guy that, that understands it. And so rather than you treat yourself with some over-the-counter medication, why not go ahead and get this handled once and for all? Go by and check them out. There are two locations to serve you. 910 Stark Road right here in Vegas, and then 618 Pegram Drive in Tupelo. Call Dr. Yarber today. Stop suffering. Stop putting it off. Get it handled. Improve the quality of your life. Dial 662-844-6513. Again, that's 662-844-6513. That's Dr. Robert Yarber with the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. Okay, we're doing uh, top 10 today. Roy and I have talked about this. You know, we had some popular shows when we did, uh, you know, like, you know, the tree. You know, like we, some bands, we just kind of look at the, the entire tree. And so we decided to look at another one of these supergroups of the late 80s, early 90s. Had some huge top 40 hits. A supergroup made up of Jack Blades from Night Ranger, Tommy Shaw of Sticks, and Ted Nugent. Damn Yankees. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. Damn Yankees had three great albums, and the songwriting was phenomenal. So we're going to take kind of the greatest hits in each of those guys' catalogs, put a top ten list together for you today. So this may be a little more rocking, right? Because you need it on Monday anyway. You need some rock on Monday to kind of get you going, get you through the, the start of the week. Here are your honorable mentions. Uh, Where Are You Going Now from Damn Yankees, great tune. Night Rangers, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, and then a free-for-all from Ted Nugent. Those are your honorable mentions. Here's your top ten. The first single off the debut album from Damn Yankees is Coming of Age. Little Sister, Here's the Stage. Great track, but there was so much more to come. But that was a great introductory track to this group. Uh, Number nine, going back to the Night Ranger days for Jack Blades, When You Close Your Eyes, Do You Think About Me? Great tune. Shaw and Blades put together a little project afterwards. They did a couple of albums together. The first one was called Hallucination, and the title track is called My Hallucination, the first single off that. 
I uh, wanted to throw that in there because I wanted to kind of throw those guys a little bit of a bone for that album they did. Uh, they just couldn't get things worked out with Ted for another album for Damn Yankees. And so uh, Sean Blades puts that little project together. Again, a couple albums together. I think the first one, Hallucination, I guess that came out like 95 or so. And then it was a second album that came out in the late 2000s, wasn't quite as good. Uh, going to the Sticks days, it's Blue Collar Man from Sticks. I think the better stick songs are the Tommy Shaw songs. We've talked about that on the show before. Blue Collar Man, number seven. Number six, don't agree with all the lyrics on this one, but I'll tell you, from a musicality standpoint, it is a masterpiece, and it's Stranglehold. That opening riff is just one of those things, to me, even makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. All the hair that's not dreaded. Uh, Number five, my favorite song, probably off that first Dem Yankees album, it's Come Again. And, uh, you know, that's back in the days. You young guys don't fully appreciate this. But uh, we used to do these things called guitar solos. And nowadays nobody does that because most of these guys today can't play. <laughs> People are like, oh, Steve, what are you talking about? It's, it's true. They can't play. That was the mark of a great band in the 80s and 90s is could they pull it off live? Well, now nobody plays live anymore. Everybody uses DAT and, uh, you know, they have these backing tracks and that sort of stuff. And so they don't do guitar solos anymore. Very few people do. I guess Mark Tremonti still does. But there are very few people that do guitar solos. The guitar solo on Come Again from Ted Nugent, and there are two of them. There's kind of one that's an outro. But the guitar solo on this song might be the best guitar solo of Ted Nugent's career. It is absolutely phenomenal. It matches the song. You know, the song begins with acoustic guitar and ends with acoustic guitar, but in the middle, it's, an, it's a roller coaster ride. Number four, my favorite stick song, it's Renegade. Love that track, always have. It was my number one song on the sticks, the sticks top 10. It should be yours as well. Number three, the best song from damn yankees and i think this is clearly their best selling single probably their highest charting highest charting single as well it's high enough can you fly me high enough to fly me over yesterday great tune if you don't know it familiarize yourself with these songs number two there was a time i didn't really like this song because i felt like they just played it so much and kind of forced it in our throats but the older I get, the more I look back at this song, not just with the feelings of nostalgia, but with some really respect. And, and not just because ES, I mean ESPN, MTV played the video every 15 minutes, but uh, it's Sister Christian. I, I still haven't figured out what Motorin is. You know, Motorin. Uh, but it's a great tune. Jack Blade's a great songwriter. I don't know that he gets enough credit for that. But the number one song, and some of you are thinking, what could it be? What's Uncle Ted's? It's Cat Scratch Fever. And you can uh, forgive me for all the double entendre. But that is as rocking a song as there is. And I know some of you are going to listen to that and say, Steve, I can't believe you picked that song. Well, you know, you're going to have to find a way to get over it. Because that is an incredible rock song. And uh, I I get that it's a little bit PG-13. But from the opening riff until the end of that song, it is an incredible ride. So there you go. Top 10 songs from the damn Yankees family tree. There we go. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. Uh, got, got, I've kind of done some research, kind of talked with Roy, and I said, you know, listen, what are some bands we hadn't done we can kind of get to? And so if you have ideas, maybe help us out a little bit. Some of you guys reach out 
and uh, you kind of duplicate. And so sometimes we'll redo them, sometimes we won't. I do believe Black Crows was a duplicate, but uh, you guys love that list. Last I heard from Roy, the Black Crows list was the third most popular or most downloaded list that we've had. So you guys clearly like a little Southern rock, right? I think this one will be a pretty good one, too. So we'll see. But again, if you have ideas, reach out on social media, at ScoutSteveR. Let me know. I'll do my best to get to them. Enjoy talking music with you guys as part of our show. Listen, I'm in the market for some new Mississippi State merch because I'm confident that uh, we're going to have sunlight sooner and some warmer temps sooner. And so... I'm going to go out, go grab some Mississippi State merch, and I'm going to Campus Book Mart. I'm going to go see Stand a Man. Uh, i got to buy some gifts and that sort of stuff. got to make sure that everybody around me is kind of, uh, you know, outfitted in the freshest maroon and white threads. You need to do the same for your family. You've put it off long enough. And right now, nothing will make you feel better about the future after this winter storm nonsense and buying some spring clothes because you know it's coming, right? And with baseball in the air now, you probably need to get some M over S stuff. And while you're shopping, maybe get an M over S hoodie because, you know, we're going to have some, you know, some, some cooler temps here for a few weeks. But go check them out today, campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Bond Yard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. You know, I've got a teenager in my house, and he would wear a hoodie every day, even when it's warm. He would wear a hoodie every single day. And so every time I turn around, like I'm buying myself something, I buy him a fresh hoodie just because I want to keep him in good shape. And, and you know, I don't want to have to keep uh, washing the same three or four. And uh, so i got to go get him some MSU stuff, and I'm going to go do that. Uh, just, I just ordered him some stuff the other day. just ordered him a queen hoodie. Uh, so I know he's excited about that. should be here in the next couple of days. But um, – if you have teenagers in your family, chances are they love hoodies as well. I wear hoodies too. And you know what? You're not going to shame me about wearing them because I want to be warm and fashionable at the same time. I don't even put the hood up, but I still wear them. I like having that extra pocket too. So if you don't like it, deal with it. All right, let's talk a little bit about men's hoops. You know, lost in the excitement of the weekend is I think some of our, you know, we beat Ole Miss in men's basketball and it barely registered with some people. That kind of speaks to a couple things. I think we've become so apathetic about about basketball. That's part of it. But I think we're so excited about baseball being here that uh, I think many people just said, you know what, if we can just not get embarrassed at Ole Miss, it'll be great. We just didn't want anything to put a damper on the day. You know, we open the season. We go beat Texas. We feel good about life. And then we get a double helping, man. We go get a big win in basketball, and I had some people on Twitter try to tell me, oh, it's not a big win. No, it is a big win. Anytime we beat Ole Miss in anything, it's a big win. And you can say, well, you know, one guy said, well, you know, it's, it's not a big win. It's a crucial win. It's the same. It's, yeah, we had to have it. Uh, not that I have any uh, postseason aspirations for this team, but, you know, we needed to kind of right the ship a little bit. We, we have not played well, and then we come out and really played about as well as we have played in, in, in a month or more. And uh, Ole Miss had everything to play for. They absolutely did. You know, like on the broadcast, they kept saying, you know, we kind of ended their season. Uh, I think the bubble was probably burst for them, barring, you know, a, you know, a phenomenal run in the SEC tournament. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing you begin to look at. This is a team that had some success against us and really embarrassed us in the hump. 
it was a ball game for a while, but then we start chasing the game. And in the last 10 minutes of that ball game, Ole Miss really showed they were a tougher team than us. And so they should have had confidence. They're playing at home. They have won four games in a row. And then they feel like they've played their way out of the NCAA bubble. And so they have a team coming in that's really struggling. And so we got their best effort. And to Mississippi State and Ben Howen's credit, we took the fight to them. And uh, I was awfully impressed with how tough we appeared. And that's a thing I think has been missing at times this year is we haven't shown a lot of toughness. So let's kind of break the game down here a little bit and we'll move on. But uh, we're never going to just, you know, kind of glaze over a win over Ole Miss, especially when, uh, you know, we wins have been hard to come by for us. And so, you know, we sit here and we talk extensively at times when we're all upset. But let's not forget the fact that we just beat Ole Miss. And I never thought I would see a day when, you know, beating Ole Miss is just a blip on the radar. You know, but uh, be that as it may, we win 66-56, 31-25 at the break, and we were up double digits most of the ballgame. Attendance in the ballgame, 895 people. That tells you anything. But uh, Iverson Molinar, your player of the game, goes uh, 17 points. Uh, did not have an assist. Got to have a little better production from the point guard there, but we're not going to be overly critical when he leads us in scoring in a win on the road at Ole Miss. D.J. Stewart, 16 points. Uh, did not connect from three, but I really thought, you know, listen, late in that ball game, you know, we're up six, and that 1-3-1 three, one has given us some trouble. We're not able to get quality shots, and D.J. beats the guy off a dribble and just dropped a floater in there that really kind of made a difference. I mean, it seemed like they had all the momentum and time was running out, and we felt like, okay, here we're up against it. And we had to have a basket, and DJ goes and gets us a basket. And that's what great players do. They show up in those big moments, and he did. Uh, Tolu Smith, 12 points, six rebounds, uh, played 30 minutes. Abdul Adu was your leading scorer in the first half and actually played really well. Uh, nine points, seven rebounds, uh, four of nine from the floor. And uh, got a big dunk late, kind of an emphatic dunk when uh, you know, things were kind of over. Derek Fountain gets a start, has just two points. That's going to be some up and down with a freshman like that. But he's out there making things happen. He's got to learn to play defense a little bit. But the effort is there. This is a kid that I think we can build around once he gets in a weight room and gets a little bit stronger, develops a little more of you know, basketball IQ. I think that kind of bodes well for the future. Uh, Devion Smith with a big dunk late, and again, it was an inbounds play. We flashed to the goal there, and again, it's a time that we had to have a basket. We had gone into a little bit of an offensive funk, and he steps up, makes a big basket for us down the stretch, uh, just has six points, uh, 21 minutes of action, but pretty efficient from the floor, two of three, pulls down a couple rebounds as well. Uh, Javion Davis, really kind of a non-factor, but again, we've we got to figure that thing out with him. Uh, four turnovers, three personal fouls, and just four points. Got to find a bigger role for him. Cam Matthews, uh, just four minutes of action, uh, did not attempt a shot. Looking at the old Miss side of things, and this is where the difference in the games were. Defensively, we did a much better job against them. We really kind of forced them into some hurried shots. Uh, they shoot 21 of 55 from the floor. Devontae Schuler, 1 of 15, 0 of 6 from 3 makes a couple free throws. We hold him at just four points. Four points. He killed us in Starkville. Leading score for them was K.J. Buffin with 13. And Listen, he's a guy that's really improved as a player. Uh, He's definitely an effort guy, big physical, athletic, aggressive guy, has given us some trouble at times on both ends of the floor. 
but uh, was the only double-digit scorer uh, for Ole Miss. Jarkel Joyner, I know, had a big three late – excuse me, a big basket late uh, for them to kind of help narrow the gap. But, um, you know, we hold him to eight points on four of 11 from shooting four, – four 11 from the floor. So a good win for Mississippi State, a good win for Ben Howen. I think in many ways it kind of quiets the noise a little bit. And I don't want to oversell the fact it's just because we beat Ole Miss. But, you know, we needed to get a W. Now, when we look at the rest of the schedule, and we never know what to expect from this team, okay? But let's look and see what we have left and what's realistic for us. Well, we host South Carolina, and South Carolina has really been struggling. Okay, so, you know, Ben, we got to get that one. We got to get that one. We have had this, uh, you know, Jekyll and Hyde thing at times where we get a big win and then we don't capitalize on it. We don't build from that. My hope is we reverse that Wednesday when we play South Carolina. We'll preview that game on the Wednesday show. But uh, that's a ball game we have to have. That puts you two games over 500 with two regular season games to play. Alabama, not a good matchup for us, even though we played them exceptionally well in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But, you know, they're going to be the SEC champions. And, uh, you know, maybe they, they come in here and don't have much to play for. Who knows? But I think they're on the two line right now. And then we travel to A&M. And, listen, they're not a great team. Buzz Williams has given Ben Howland fits last few times we played. I don't think it's unrealistic to think we have a chance to win that ball game. And then if we could find a way to win a, a game in the SEC tournament. And, we, listen, I guess what's three years in a row now we've won a game in a tournament. And so let's say you beat South Carolina and then you lose to Alabama A&M. All right, that puts you at 500. You win a game in the tournament, then you're assured of being 500 on the year. So we still have an outside chance at a winning season after all the craziness that has happened. And listen, I, I don't know anybody in the media that's been more critical of Ben Howland than I have. And sometimes that upsets me, okay, because I, I, I try to be – you're the positive guy, but I'm not a Pollyanna. I try to call it as I see it. I expected us to get beat in Oxford. I really did. I thought the way that Ole Miss had been playing with the momentum they had and the way that Kermit really emphasizes the rivalry, and maybe that was part of the issue too. Maybe that was. Maybe they were too keyed up. Maybe they were too stressed up thinking, you know what, we got to win this ball game, not just because it's Mississippi State, but because, you know, Dylan already has us on the first four out. So we win this ball game, maybe we're the last four in. And they blew it. They absolutely blew it. And so, yes, I was surprised that we won, very happy that we won, and happy that we played as well as we did. And listen, we're not an exciting offensive basketball team. We're going to try to grind out some games. But anytime that we play Ole Miss, you know, they kind of force us to play their game. And I thought this time we didn't really allow them to impose their will on us and force us to play at their pace. I thought we did a better job kind of controlling the flow of the game and so, again, I've been critical of Ben Howland several times. I'm going to give him credit when he does a good job, and I really thought we coached it and played it well. And you could tell in postgame that Ben was really jazzed up about the win. And so let's celebrate the win. And, again, this is not a great Ole Miss team, but they have played well as of late, had really been playing their best basketball of the year. And then we find a way to go into their home gymnasium and uh, go into Pavilion and win a game they had to have. And so – Again, thumbs up, Ben Howen, and uh, the leadership of this team. And uh, let's build from here. Let's go get a good win against South Carolina, and maybe we can salvage something out of this thing this year. 
and more than experience. You know, maybe there's still an outside chance we can put together a winning season. And at the beginning of the year, if we're all being objective, and I talked about on the show this year, if we had a chance to finish at around 500, then we would consider this year a success. Now, it's easy to say that at the beginning of the year when, it, when it's all kind of front-loaded. You're thinking, you know what, yeah, that's right. But then when you go through it, because you know, we're all so emotionally invested in the outcome, and you say, man, that means we're going to lose you know, 15 games this year. 14, 15 games, Steve. And so every one of those games is painful for you because you care, because you want Mississippi State to do well. But in hindsight, you look back and say, you know what, I remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about the fact that we lost seven players off the roster and we returned very little offensive production and we were going to have to have some guys step up. None of us expected to make the tournament this year. You know, we go out and beat Georgia the way that we did and all of a sudden we start thinking, well, man, look, maybe we're better than we thought. Georgia's not a great team. But that was still a quality win for us. We beat Missouri. That was a good win for us. And so we've shown some flashes. I've said on this show for a month now, I expect Ben Howland to be back next year. I think winning that game against Ole Miss helps not just that probability, but I think it helps, you know, the way our fan base feels. Because I think many people thought maybe we would mail it in down the stretch, and it's pretty clear that Ben's not ready to do that. And so I think the way you keep people engaged and begin to kind of build some hope, you got you have to beat South Carolina. And then if you can find a way to beat A&M, you close out the regular season winning three of your last four, and then depending on the draw in the tournament, maybe you get a win in the tournament. You're thinking, man, we won four of the last five, and then we get eliminated in the second round. But you know what? We close this thing out on a positive note. We've had some young guys develop and mature, and it gives us something to build upon in the next year. So that's my hope. And so maybe that's a little more positive than you expected from me. And, again, it's not just because we beat Ole Miss. But, listen, this is the life that we lead. I, I was talking to somebody last week about that, and they're saying, you know, well, what happens if this happens and this happens and this happens? I said, guys, let me just say this. If we get blown out by Ole Miss on Saturday, it's not going to matter what happens the rest of the season with our fans. It's just not. Because if Kermit embarrasses Ben in the pavilion and then they play their way into the tournament and we have a losing record, it's not going to matter. It won't matter what happens the rest of the year because at that point it is going to be abundantly clear that they're trending in a much better direction than we are. The trajectory of their program would be greatly enhanced over ours. And so I think I don't want to overstate this win, but I think it was a very, very big win for Ben Howland and this young team to kind of push forward. Now you got to build upon it. Now you have to build upon it. Speaking of building, our friends at Portico – they're building. They're building that great residential complex out there uh, just off Garrett Road behind the Hilton Garden Inn, the Cryford Jeep dealership. We've talked about it before. I told you guys there were going to be 18 houses in phase one. You know what? 12 of those 18 I already bought. You guys have done a great job. You've reached out. You've talked to Brooks. You've worked through your real estate agent. And you said, you know what? This is where I want to be. This is the newest, nicest complex residential I hate to call it a complex, it's not. It's a community. And so you can go get plugged into. There's only six houses left in that first phase, and they're clearing dirt now. They're going to be starting late spring, early summer on phase two, which is going to have 33 houses. It's going to be a big, a big area. 
but it's not going to be one that you're going to be on top of each other. It's going to be kind of cozy, if you know what I'm saying. It's going to be a nice community for you. And so if you want to get into that first phase, you, you can't delay. I mean, we're up against it right now. I mean, because many of you are thinking, well, you know, I don't really want to do anything until the kids get out of school. Well, listen, it's almost March. You need to start doing your due diligence now and maybe even make an offer, you know, sooner rather than later. Those are the things I think sometimes we let life kind of sneak up on us. Don't let that happen to you. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan, and he'll give you more information about this. You know, I've told you guys the walking trail, the pavilion, everything you need is going to be right there. Right there. Any, any size house to fit a growing family, or perhaps it's a, uh, maybe it's an investment property for you. Maybe it's a home away from home. Maybe it's just a place where you come for ball games because you know what, Steve? I don't want to have to bring my stuff every time I come up here. Maybe we can afford to have a second home. And so this is where it should be. We Listen, I want you guys to be here and start going with us. I'd love to run into you at Walmart, right? But give Brooks a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Every size home to fit any size family. Give them a buzz. Get more information today. Again, just, just six homes left in that first phase. Don't do it to yourself. You're going you're gonna to regret it if you do. I'm just telling you now. Then, you, then you're going to have to deal with all these people that are going to be forcing these little places on you, and you're going to have to settle for something second best. All right, let's talk a little bit about women's hoops before we get out of here. I understand. Listen, I, I see your stuff on social media I, for the most part. Uh, you know, some of you, listen, you know, I, I get it. You're, you love Mississippi State. You're invested in this. When things don't go well, you're vocal. But uh, I don't have anything to do. I don't coach women's basketball. I don't recruit anybody to play women's basketball. I don't, I don't hire any coaches. I don't air up the basketballs. I don't drive the bus. I don't have anything to do with that. And so sometimes we get that. You know, sometimes we get, we get a little upset with one another because we all want the same things, and that's for Mississippi State to do well. Well, Mississippi State hadn't played well as of late, and uh, that carried over into Sunday. And it's, what's five games in a row now we've lost? Let's go back and look at this. Uh, the last game we won, I guess, is we beat Ole Miss here. And we have not won since then. And we've had, listen, there's been some herky-jerkiness with the schedule, to be fair. You know, we've had some postponements. And some of you would say, you know what, see, we're probably going to lose those games anyway. I can't argue because I don't know. I, I don't know. But I know that we're not playing well. And uh, we lose and get swept by Alabama this year. We lose 71-63 on Sunday. And uh, there were times in that first half it really looked like Alabama was going to run away with it. A 19-11 lead after the first quarter. And then 19-14. And, uh, you know, it's just you begin to look at this thing and you think, okay, how are we ever going to come back from this? Right? We're 8-7 overall now. 3-6 and six in the league. We've got a lot of games left. We've got to make up. So what does that mean? And the, and the answer to the question is I don't know. Rakia Jackson with 18 points, a better game for her. And we really need her to get going. We need her really balled in and engaged. She is a very talented player for us. Jessica Carter, a double-double, but this uh, 5 of 14 from the floor. She did pull down 12 rebounds. We're going to need that kind of effort for her, especially on the offensive end. Hadn't always been there. Uh, Aliyah Matharu, 11 points, 1 of 5 from the three-point line. Maya Taylor, uh, six points, but, uh, you know, again, she's kind of that floor general. Uh, just a two assists, though. That's one of the things that, that when I look at this team, 
that I think is missing are two things, really. We don't have that same edge about us. You know, when, uh, and it's impossible for Nikki to, to avoid this, but when Vic was here, you know, she's always going to be compared to what Vic did and how his teams played. No matter how different their styles are, nobody cares about styles. They care about wins, right? But Vic was one of those coaches that, you know, when our ladies stepped on the floor, they were the most conditioned team. They were going to be the most dogged defenders. They were going to beat you in transition when they could. And if they got a chance to put their foot on your throats, they were going to stomp you out, right? We had an edge and an air about us, and everybody knew if you came out and you had an off-night shooting, you were going to get blown out. And Vic took pride in blowing people out. He did. Kind of a man after my own heart. I'm sure Nikki McRae feels the same way, given the opportunity. But we don't have that edge. And another second thing I'd say is that we are not getting enough assists out of the point guards. We're not running enough offense well, we're getting easy baskets for the post players. You know, that was granted. Yet, Tierra McCowan here is a once-a-generation player, but we had great point guards that could put her in a situation where she could get the ball down low in position to just basically turn and fire. You know, she didn't have to get the ball and then kind of work and create her own shot. And so, we're not playing a lot of great team basketball, and that really showed on Sunday. There are a lot of times there just doesn't seem to be much of a semblance of offense. We just really don't seem to have a lot of flow offensively. You know, just 10 assists on the night, uh, two from Rakia, two from Jessica Carter, uh, two from Aliyah Matharu, two from Maya Taylor, one from Sidney Cooks, and uh, two from Jemiah Mango. And what I'll argue is, you know, when your post player, when your five has the same number of assists as your point guard, things aren't going well offensively. Okay, and again, that's not to throw shade at anybody. That's just the reality of it. You know, and one of the things that's interesting to me, and we had this discussion on Gene's page earlier, it's like fans sometimes, you know, with us in the media, it's like it's like you want us to get out of character or something like that perhaps that uh, we're scared to say things because, you know, you're thinking, well, Steve won't tell the truth because he's afraid of losing his access. Well, number number one, that's not true. And number two, if you've listened to the show at all, you'll understand I'll tell you exactly what I think. And uh, I'm not afraid to tell you the truth. You know, what we have seen on the floor this year is unacceptable. It is. It it is unacceptable. But the reality of this is is we're not going to fire a coach in year one, and especially when you consider all the challenges that we've had. And you can say, you know what, Steve, everybody else is dealing with that. Well, I don't know that that's true. Let me back up what I mean by, by this. You know, when Nikki McCray-Pinson got here, the first thing she had to do was recruit her roster to stay. You remember many of you, some of the same of you, of you now, that uh, there's this vocal minority that always has something negative to say no matter what's happening. There were some people in the, in the Facebook groups, you know, as soon as Vic left, they said, well, then Rakia Jackson is going to go to Texas. Aliyah Mataro is going to go to Texas. Jessica Carter is going to go to Texas. Vic's going to you know, pillage our roster and take them all to Texas. And so Nikki had to come in here and deal with some of that. You know, granted, there's tampering involved with all that too, but, you know, the relationships, you know, Vic's the one that established those relationships. And you may remember we lost a signee to Texas. Well, Madison Hayes sticks with us. And so that's, again, Nikki McCray has to come in, recruit her roster, recruit Madison Hayes to honor her national letter of intent. We hired Nikki on April the 11th. April the 11th. 
I don't know if you have forgotten what was going on in the world then. You know, we had to fly her in here, let her, let her family see the city and kind of ride around. And, you know, there were some reporters at the airport trying to get pictures of her, and it was crazy. This goes to show you what a big deal women's basketball has become here at Mississippi State. And so I, I kind of get it. I get that there is a little bit of a disconnect. When you come in a little bit later, and then you're having to kind of recruit your roster to stay. I'm not going to sit here and defend the quality of play on the floor. I'm not, not going to do it. And again, you know, it's like, it's like if, if you do, if you, some of you, it's like if we're, if we're not negative, if we don't match your negativity, then we're being disingenuous. I don't think there is anybody connected with Mississippi State women's basketball that believes what we're doing right now is acceptable. I don't believe anybody says, you know what, eight and seven's okay. We should be happy with that. There's nobody that believes that. There's nobody that shares that belief. And so we're all on the same page when it comes to that. I would submit to you if we had Nikki McCray-Pence on the show and I'd say, Nikki, do you, do you feel that the on-the-court performance this year meets your standards? She would say absolutely not. I'm sure John Cohen would tell you the same thing. I'm sure Dr. Mark Keenum would tell you the same thing. We haven't played well this year. Everybody sees it. Nobody is defending that and saying, you know what, we're having a good season. And I think everybody shares the same concern. You know, we have been a national power here for the last few years and and should have won a national championship against Notre Dame. We expected to challenge for an SEC championship this year, even with a new coach. And I know many of you have, have made the same, you know, parallel to, you know what, Jim Moorhead showed up here and took over a good program. We talked about going from good to great, and we went from good to mediocre. And we said, well, you know, Joe's going to put his system in. He's got to get his players or whatever. And so we were patient the first year, and then he didn't have a good second year, and he was gone. And so I think it's fair, too, because, you know, John gets a lot of criticism, and that's part of the gig, right? I mean, that's part of the job. It's criticism. And it doesn't matter if, if he's responsible for certain things. Anything related to the athletic department, John's going to get criticized for. And you know what? John's okay with that. John understands that. John's feelings are not hurt. I can assure you, you know, John wants to win as much as you and probably more so than you. You know, if we get tired of it, we can just turn TV off and go do something else. You know, this, this is the gig. But... John was here to watch Vic Schaefer take this program to heights we never imagined in our wildest dreams. And you know what? No matter who he hired, it's going to be difficult to replicate that. And everybody says, you know what? Hey, let's just go spend the money. You know, sometimes I think people don't realize the millions of dollars we've lost on women's basketball. And then that's the same people, too, that, you know, all of a sudden we put a parking pass together and charge people, what, $10, $15 for the parking pass, and we're ready to riot over that. You know, and so, again, nobody's happy about what we've seen on the court this year. But there's no way we're going to fire a coach after one year. How do you go out and get the next coach? And I've, I've read some of the arguments. Well, everybody will understand. No, nobody's going to understand. Nobody is going to move their family to Starkville, Mississippi, without some security. You can say, well, you know, well, everybody kind of sees the same things. Listen, 
how do how do you sell your spouse on hey let's move to Starkville? Oh yeah, Vic Schaefer was there. They they played for a national championship two years in a row. Who's there now? Oh, it's Nikki McCray Pinson, but they fired her after one year. Well, I don't know if I want to go work for that guy. Why would I, why would I want to go there? You mean to tell me that we could be moving twice in a year? No, nah, I don't know if I want to do that. Oh, well, they're going to give us a four-year contract. Okay. But they may fire us after one year? You know, you have to think about the precedence that you set. And I think when you look at the Jim Moorhead situation, I think it's pretty safe to say that the, the leadership at Mississippi State, when they recognize that something is running off the rails, will address it. We'll address it. You know, we got rid of Jim Moorhead, we went and hired Mike Leach. You may have forgotten that. Probably one of the most non-Mississippi State things that we've ever done is we ponied up and spent the money, because that's always the answer, right? Why don't we just spend the money to go get a big-time coach? Well, we did. And Mike Leach is going to win big here. I, th- I think we all know it. We hope it more than we know it, right? And so I think it's important to understand there is nobody that's asleep at the wheel when it comes to these things. Nobody is oblivious to your feelings and your you know, appreciation of kind of what you're seeing on the floor from women's basketball. You're heard. Many of you reiterate your point every time. But, again, there's nobody that just says, hey, this is okay. Let's de-emphasize women's basketball. That's just not happening. Everybody understands the enjoyment we've all gotten out of that. Well, we felt that every time out we were going to win the ball game no matter who we played. We all remember that great night against South Carolina, right? We beat Asia Wilson and Don Staley. What a great night that was because they were they're our rivals at the time. They're not now. We're not competitive with them now. But we're going to give her another year. I mean, you, you might as well be – just go ahead and pump the brakes. And that's the right thing that should happen. It absolutely is. But that's not to say that what's happening on the court right now is acceptable to anybody. Nobody. There's nobody that sees that and says, you know what, this is okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. We expect to be competitive on all fields and courts of play in every sport, whether it be golf or tennis, or football, baseball, basketball. We expect to be competitive. And there's this new generation of Mississippi State fans. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not built for the rebuild, are we? We're just not. Because we, we've, we, we've had our parents and grandparents, these long-standing Bulldog fans that always told us, well, enjoy it while it lasts because it won't last for long. We're determined in our generation, you know what's not going to be the case, that we're going to convey some better expectations. We're going to support the program perhaps better than they have in the past. And with that support comes the expectation that we're going to win. And I think you've got a president, an athletic director, that wants to win the same way you do. They want to put your coaches in the most competitive advantage possible. And so understand those people want the same things you want. And uh, it might not happen as quickly as we all want it to, but we're not going to sit here and let things just get run off the rails. And I think it's important that everybody understands that. All right, I'll be back on Wednesday, hopefully talking about uh, a Bulldog victory in baseball and then, of course, uh, previewing that South Carolina game. Uh, There will be probably on Monday – or Tuesday, you'll get some adjustments to the women's basketball schedule. We're going to try to get these games in. And so we need to win some of those games. There's no, there's no doubt about it. We need to win some of those games. We're in a really bad spot right now. We've got, to find, we've got a way to find it, turn this thing around. 
That's going to do it for today. If you hadn't done so, go to alphadogstobook.com and you can order yourself personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And you can find your Stark Villains gear at starkvillains.com. Get t-shirts, hoodies, all the cool stuff right there at starkvillains.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.